Look at verse 22. It says, as, and as you went through the cities and the villages teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem, it's kind of a key thought. He is focused on his destination, yet he hasn't lost his purpose in route. How many of you guys are focused on heaven? Like, you're, you're going to heaven. Like, I texted somebody this morning, I'm going to heaven. Yeah, I know I'm going. Yet I can get distracted and lose my focus in route. You don't even raise your hand. You got, you're going to heaven. Thank you, Jesus. But you don't necessarily look like you're going to heaven. You know what I'm saying? You don't act like you're going to heaven. You don't even like, think you're going to heaven at, at certain times. And sometimes you need to remind your, your face that you're going to heaven. So it looks like it. You're like, ah, oh, you know. Are you going to heaven? Yeah, what of it? <laughs> okay, just making sure. Jesus here, on his way to Jerusalem, staying focused though. Look at what he says in verse 23. Then one said to him, hey, Lord, are there, are there few who are saved? He comes up with this question. He could be picking a fight. I don't know. He could have an honest question. You ever had an honest question? Hey, the Lord's doing what he does in your life. You read the Bible, you're like, I don't know. Man, that's a tough one. Have you ever had a tough one? You ever read a, read a verse? You're like, ah, I don't know if I like that. It's, did you know that's okay? You can go to the Lord, raise your hand, and say, could you break that down for me? It sounds kind of crazy. I want you to understand that the Lord will answer your questions. Okay? And I'm going to teach this in just a minute, but far too many people have already hit the eject button on God and left religion or organized religion, and so many people use that as a, a distancing from themselves of walking with God because they have problems or questions. Man, you better get those problems and questions figured out. It's a matter of life and death. This guy has a question. Look at Jesus, his answer. Jesus, I believe, doesn't miss a, a beat. He answers this question about who's getting saved, and he tells us exactly how. Verse 24, strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. And once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, you will begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you, where you are from. And then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets, bro. And you're going to show him your shirt that says, Jesus is my homeboy. And he's going to say to you in verse 27, he will say, I tell you, I do not know you, where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. Verse 28, I believe with tears in his eyes, okay, I really do. Jesus says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrust out. And they will come from the east and the west and the north and the south and sit down in the kingdom of God. And indeed, there are last who will be first and there are first who will be last. The Pharisees didn't like what he said and what he was saying on verse 31. It says on that very same day, maybe in the same hour, Pharisees came to him and said, hey, get out of here, bro. And depart from here for Herod wants to kill you. You keep talking like this, you're going to get killed. You can't be drawing lines like this. You can't be taking this stance. They may have been helping him out, preserve his life. They also may have been trapping him. We don't know their intention. You ever felt this temptation in your Christianity to turn it down a little bit? Just tone it down. Just make it normal. Just don't be so, so you know. You ever feel that temptation? You ever see something on Facebook, it's completely offensive, completely godless, and you're like, I should say something. Or I'll keep scrolling. Or maybe a family member or somebody has an opinion or says something that's completely counter-biblical. And you just, you feel what the Pharisee said, get out of here. It's going to kill you if you keep this up. Look what Jesus responds, verse 32. He says, you go tell that fox. Here's what I'm doing. Behold, I cast out demons. I perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I shall be perfected. Nevertheless, I must journey today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. Jesus says, in light of criticism, in light of pressure, in light of this opportunity to bail out, he says, no, no, 
I'm casting out demons, I'm curing people, and I'm marching full forward. Remember, he's answering a question, by the way, too. How many people are getting saved? Are you getting saved? And I need you to just catch this. Jesus goes on in verse 34. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. In chapter 19, he'll do this again. Just a few weeks or maybe two months from now. He'll ride into Jerusalem and he'll, he'll literally break tears. He's not in Jerusalem yet. He's not even there. He's just, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And he'll do it again. He'll weep over Jerusalem. He says, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. You know, this is breaking his heart. He's like, dude, my father's been sending you prophets, sending you messages, the book, messengers, and you just kept killing them. You would push them down. You wouldn't receive them. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. This answer to this question, how many? How many will be saved, Jesus? Oh, dude, not enough. Not enough. That's what he's saying. I wanted to save more. I tried. I sent prophets. I sent word. I sent all this to get your attention. See, your house has left you desolate, verse 35, and assuredly I say to you, <laughs> assuredly I say to you, shall not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus says, your, your house is desolate. These guys would be offended at that. We can talk about our house is desolate. Look at what we've done. This temple's taken Herod years to construct. We have everything going for us. We have all the fullness, and Jesus says, it's empty, you have nothing. And you won't have anything until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Most believe this final verse is a prophecy speaking of the end of all things when Jesus will return and he'll grant to the Jewish nation salvation by faith just like you and I have and their eyes will be opened up and they will see him who they pierced and they will ask him, who gave you those piercings? And he will say, I received these in the house of my friends. The book of Zechariah tells us that Jesus will return and all of Israel will have their eyes opened up. Just like you and I have had our eyes opened up and we see Jesus as he is and we bow the knee and confess with the tongue and Jesus here with his Jewish brothers. The Jewish nation at this time says, it's not gonna happen for you until you do that. It's not gonna happen for you here or anybody else there until they too also see Jesus as he is. This is that important. And I'm so glad for these Pharisees that told him, hey, get out of here, calm down, just turn it down, bro, because he gives us the answers to what we should do there. And I'm so thankful for this guy who asked this question, hey, how many people are going to heaven? And Jesus is like, dude, I'm so glad you asked. Strive to enter into the narrow gate. Make your call and election sure. And there are warnings throughout the New Testament of an apostate church, of a lukewarm church, of a deceived church, of people who think they're in and yet they're out. And even in this parable, he tells a parable, there's a guy who's gonna shut the door. It's gonna be too late. People are gonna be knocking on the door. And you and I who are Christians here need to take a pulse check this morning and say, Lord, oh, that's serious. That's serious. I need, to, I need to examine my own faith, not to second guess your faith. If you're a believer here and you know it, don't, don't second guess your faith, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But because you're a believer here, you better second guess your life. What am I doing? How, what, how, where's my focus? Where's my attention? What am I excited about? Strive. And if you're not sure you're a believer here, oh, man. You got to figure that out. 
Okay, your knower's got to know. You got to know that you know that you know. Okay, settle it. And if you're a believer here, guess what? You won't be perfect. Okay, just so you know. Oh, I thought I was a believer, but I sinned yesterday. Join the club. Okay, I'm the president, you know. But you will know. You just know. If you don't know, you need to agonize. That's what the word strive there is. You strive to enter into that gate and make sure that you are saved. And if you are saved, make sure that your life is on point. God's grace is so good. Okay. I got saved at a very young age. Raised in a Christian family. Gave my life to Jesus. God gave me saving faith. Okay, what I believe is that, only, that didn't just save my soul, but it was faith to believe in the word at young ages, age seven, eight, nine. I believed everything. I didn't know everything, but I believed it. I just knew. Okay? And yet I was still a rebel. And even to this day, I know that I know that I know that I know, but I still got rebellion in my heart. Okay, there's a battle for, for, for my life. My salvation? Done. So good. And God's grace is for you this morning. If you're a believer here and you're saved, and yet you would say, oh, wow, those are serious words. My life's not that serious. I'm saved, but I'm kind of an idiot. I'm not striving for the greater things. I'm striving for lesser things. And I believe I need to go back for seconds, refill my plate with that which I've already had enough of, but, but I want more. And in verse 22, it says, as he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem, and I want you to get this image of Jesus, kind of like Rambo, okay? You guys, you guys remember John Rambo, First Blood? Man, amazing movie. I was telling my kids the story plot between John Rambo and his plight, you know, and they were so captivated, like it was a real, my wife's like, are you really telling him about John Rambo, you know? And I was like, hey, they need, they need to know, they're probably not going to see it for a couple more years, they need to at least know John Rambo, you know, and... I was, anyways, Jesus here, that's not going to make the second message, that's going to, wasn't even in my notes, let me, let me use a different image, have you ever seen the, the false teachers of our day, maybe in the current past, the uh, Rajneesh Bhagwan and, and Gandhi and the Dalai Lama, you ever seen those guys with their robes on, and they got this like smile on their face, and and they're just going with all their followers, and they just, to me, it makes me sick. They got this, like, this dopey, oh, yeah, oh, you know, namaste. And they got this cr- it's crazy stuff. And they're leading people to themselves in this crazy peace. Don't think Jesus like that at all. Okay, Jesus is not like those men. Jesus has a seriousness to what he's doing. And he realizes the battle is here, and it's not peace within and nirvana here. There is a battle. This world is going to be judged. The judgment is coming and Jesus has a Rambo look, a Liam Neeson look, a Jesus Christ look in his eyes. Let me read it to you out of Luke chapter 9, 51. We studied this five years ago. <laughs> Luke 9, five, I'm serious. I was, like a, I was a younger person. I was 32. I had a full head of hair. <laughs> My beard was jet black. I watched the video. This is what it says in Luke 9, 51. It says, now, and this is, this is how the story started. It says, now it came to pass... When the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Dude, Jesus Christ. When the, he'd been teaching and sharing, all of a sudden, Luke 9.51, it's time to go. All right. And nothing would dissuade him, nothing would discourage him, nothing would distract him. The Pharisees would try and dissuade him. His disciples would discourage him. You remember his disciples? Jesus, where are you going? Oh, Jerusalem. You know what? There's a great spot above Galilee. My uncle owns it. We can go there and hide out. I don't know if Jerusalem's the best place for us. What did Jesus say to Pete when he said in that day? Get behind me, Satan. You don't even know what you're talking about. You're of the flesh, bro. 
Jesus was set like a flint, laser beam focus. And I say that because I find myself in my Christianity and my freedom and my grace and my joy distracted, dissuaded, and discouraged many times, okay? By my own disciples, my, my friends, the people around me, I can do the same. I can be negative or positive. Uh, the world tries to discourage me. Satan himself would try and take Jesus out. And yet Jesus says, no, bro. And it's important for me, and it's important for you to see this about Jesus, that on his way to Jerusalem, what's he doing? He's teaching people. He's focused, man. He's so serious about this. Because I don't want to get distracted. One of my favorite verses, you can write it down or read it later or memorize it this week. It's Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. Okay, it's all highlighted in my Bible. And it's like one of those gut check verses. Maybe like a throat punch. Just, oh, wow, Rambo right there. This is what it says. It says, therefore, we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. What? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Paul goes on. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you be discouraged and become weary in your souls. Why are we taking over two years, maybe three years, in the Gospel of Luke to look at Jesus? This may be the only two or three years we have. We don't know. Wouldn't it be fun when Jesus returns if we're looking at him, if we're, if we're considering him? Consider him, he says. <laughs> Finally, Paul says this in verse four. You've not resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. Hebrews 12, one through four, read it later. Memorize it this week. Paul looking at the people. Hey, look at Jesus, man. You wanna be discouraged and wearied in your souls? No, look at Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, the shame, who himself didn't grow weary or distracted or diluted or dissuaded. He stayed the course. He stayed focused. I love Paul's logic. You haven't resisted sin to bloodshed yet. Paul looks at the church, looks at you and me. We're whining and crying. He's like, you ain't bleeding yet. You know, put some Windex on it. You're fine. Get back in the battle. How are you going to do that? Looking at Jesus. Looking at Jesus. And I have enjoyed my faith up until this point so much. I enjoy life. I enjoy Jesus. I enjoy everything. And yet you have to come back to the story, to the culmination of all things, to the world as we know it. The culture is nuts. And right now the Holy Spirit is, is in the culture. Did you know that? The Holy Spirit is with the world via the church. The Holy Spirit is here with the church in you. We are that additive, that salt, that saving grace agent that is here with the world right now currently. It's our job to let the Holy Spirit live in us until the rapture of the church, until the exodus when we're snatched away, like it says in 1 Thessalonians, when we are taken away and God begins to then roll out the seven-year judgment time upon the earth. After we're done with Luke, we're gonna begin Revelation. We'll study that out. We'll see how it's all going to flow. But at this point in time, the Lord has asked you and I to be engaged. Boom! Until that day. And we need each other. And the disciples were such knuckleheads. 
hanging out with Jesus. Jesus is fired up, going straight. These guys are like, let's take a shortcut back to Galilee, you know. You ever been that guy with somebody else? You ever been the, 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 the heavyweight in the bunch? I have. Made mistakes. And God's grace for Peter, God's grace for you, says, guys, I am going forward. Look at Jesus. Don't get dissuaded. Don't get discouraged. Don't get distracted. Jesus is our model. He's our leader. You want to know how you're not going to get distracted, by the way, just so you know? Here's a little trick. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and on the way, he's engaging people. He's teaching people. If you're not discipling somebody, if you're not praying for somebody, if you're not caring about somebody, if you're not growing somebody, okay, somebody, chances are you're going to get distracted, dissuaded, or discouraged because there's no reason for you to live. And you won't even know you're distracted, dissuaded, or discouraged. You're just going to be in the back of the pack doing nothing, bearing no fruit because your life has come to nothing. It doesn't matter. Unless you step into that position, each one teach one. Somebody, you got, if you're not teaching somebody, or, or let me flip it, if you're not learning from somebody right now, if there's not some sort of give and take, you're just doing it wrong, period, okay? So even this morning, as dedicated Christians going to heaven, ask yourself, who am I teaching? How do I use my Facebook account? How do I, how do I use my leverage? How do I use my masculinity or my femininity? How do I use my marriage? How do I use my singleness? How do I do everything I can possibly do for the kingdom of God? And if you don't do that, you will be dissuaded, discouraged, or distracted. Guaranteed. Wouldn't that be so fun if all of us just said, man, let's do it. Let's pour into somebody. Each one, teach one. And I told you guys this. Ministry is not that hard, okay? Just find at least one or two people dumber than you. Just, that's, all, that's it. Find a couple people dumber than you. Tell them what you know, okay? Make sure and find people smarter than you and learn what they know. Just kind of keep that chain going. Otherwise, you'll run out of stuff to tell the people dumber than you. And, and if the people dumber than you become smarter than you, man, give them a boost up. Say, yeah, do it. I'm serious. Just cheer them on. Don't be a weirdo. Okay, don't seek to have a following and be the guy and be the gal in charge. I pray for my kids that they would excel and exceed me in my faith. I pray that they would know Jesus better than I do. I pray that my staff, the guys and gals here, that the people, that, that, that teachers and Bible teachers and leaders would know God better than I do. It's not about... It's about imparting a gift. And, and I'm going to be honest. If you feel distracted or dissuaded or discouraged, join a life group. Start a life group. Okay, just start one. Start teaching. Start praying with people. Start a prayer group. Get nuts. Find three or four people that you think will, will respect you and love Jesus with you and just go to Starbucks or Carl's Coffee or go somewhere and just meet. Go to Night Beach and just pray in the mornings. Read the Bible together. Do something. I look back at my history. I'm not trying to boast. I've done so many things with so many people just trying to do something. I have no clue what I'm doing. Just got to do something. Now, let's read Philippians. Small enough, you know. No one shows up. Okay, let's read Philemon. That's one chapter. You know, let's just start there, you know. And let's just do something. Jesus here does stuff on the way to Jerusalem. This guy asks this question, verse 23. And when he said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? And I don't know if he wanted to argue or what his goal was. But Jesus engaged him, and then it begins to answer this very important question. And let me just say, I've talked to people over the years who have said, you know what, I just, there's too many questions. I just have too many questions. That's why I don't go to church. I just have too many questions. Dude, this is a matter of life and death. If you have questions, you need to ask them, and you need to strive to get 
the answer. Do n- God, that's not going to be an acceptable excuse at the judgment seat. Why did you have questions? Why didn't you go on? I, I don't know. I wasn't sure. I didn't know. Blaise Pascal, born in the year 1623, is a French mathematician, a physicist, inventor, writer, and Catholic theologian. And he has what's known as the Pascal Wager. And he says this about the things of God, those who have questions. He says, look, if I'm wrong about Christ, I have lost nothing. But if you are wrong about Christ, you have lost everything. And if you have questions, my pastor used to do something that I thought was very humble. He would read his Bible with a pencil. And anytime he read a verse he didn't like or didn't understand or didn't know what it meant, he would write a question mark by it, say a little prayer, and keep going. And as he continued to read his Bible, he would put question marks all over the Bible. It's okay to have questions. My kids are asking questions all the time. And as the years went on, my pastor was able to turn the pencil over with the eraser. Oh, yeah, I get it now. That makes sense. Erase that one. I got that. It's okay to have questions. It's not okay to have questions that you don't ask, though, and instead use those as an excuse to distract yourself or to be dissuaded. Blaise Pascal had it right. If you have questions, you better answer them. And I say that to the seekers here. Maybe there's some people that aren't, aren't yet committed to Jesus Christ. You're like, I don't know, man. I just got these questions. Email me, okay? Find somebody and ask them these questions. Go on the internet. You know the internet has a wealth of resources? I'm, I am not kidding. Like the internet, I'll, I'm going to, little, little confession right now. I'll have people ask me questions from time to time, and I'll ask the internet before I answer them. I'm like, hey, you know, you know and I'll find a good question I believe lines up with the Holy Spirit, it's checked by the, by the scriptures, you know, and accepted by the church. I'm like, well, it's right here. I, I look like a genius then, just so you guys know. So ask questions, man. Don't, uh, Jesus isn't afraid to answer these questions. Look what he says next, man. He says, strive to enter through the narrow gate, and he uses this Greek word of agonizing, of making sure working hard, answering those questions, focusing like a laser that you know that you know that you know. What are you striving for right now? Just a question. What are you, what are you trying to get real good at? Life's pretty fun, isn't it? It's just fun. There's, all, there's so many things you can do. I would counter what I'm about to say with this. Paul said, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it to the glory of God. Okay, you can redeem all the things you do. Everything is redeemable. But be careful of focusing on the lesser things to the neglect of the greater things. And we can do all we can do crazy stuff, can't we? Can you not get have you gotten involved in something that's so small and you've become so great at something so small? Can kind of get a show of hands? Anybody anybody real good? And the Lord would look at you and say, What are you doing? What are you doing down there? Well, I'm getting real good at this. What is that? He said, That's my my, my seashell collection. And the Lord said, what are you doing that for? Those are, those are dead carcasses of, you know, creation. I made those, and that's the shell of a dead animal. I got a lot of them. The Lord, the Lord might say to you even today, what are you doing? What are you doing that for? And, as you're, and I've asked myself this question. There are people, I've gone so hard at one thing, and the Lord's just like, oh, what, what was that for? And you're like, I got distracted. Oh, now I'm discouraged, you know. Man. There's so many th- lesser things in exchange for the greater things. Have you seen the guys that can do the Rubik's Cube real fast? Have you seen those guys on the internet? When I was a kid, I'd get the Rubik's Cube. You know that Rubik's Cube, and it would get all messed up, and the only way to get it back to the right color sequence was peeling the stickers off. <laughs> you ever done that? And you're like, I got it! It's all like, yeah, yeah, woo! 
you know, throw it in the trash. There's guys that sit in front of a Rubik's Cube and they hit the timer. The timer goes as soon as they pick it up in under six seconds. Done. I watched a guy on Facebook. It came up. I don't even know how it came up. I was thinking about a Rubik's Cube and it came up. I'm not kidding. And, and it came up, and this kid had three Rubik's Cubes, all jacked up, okay, all messed up. He grabbed them and began to juggle them. And in under five minutes, was able to reconfigure the sequence of all three without stopping. Can you juggle for five minutes at all? Without dropping that, you know what I'm saying? He didn't drop it once and, and switched them. They showed it in slow motion. And he was doing it. And with 20 seconds to spare, got all three done. Yeah. Now, that's pretty talented. Okay, I'm not, I'm not trying to be a weirdo, but God can look down at heaven and be like, the heck are you doing? <laughs> the heck is that? You know what I'm saying? And I got plenty of stuff in my own life. The Lord's like, really? Really? What about the guy, Joey Chestnut? You know that guy? Last year, he ate 72 hot dogs in under 10 minutes. This year, 2018, okay, he, he set a new record. He ate, ate one more beyond that, 73. I think it was 73. He ate 74 hot dogs this year, 2018 ESPN Championship Hot Dog Eating Contest. And again, I'm just, I'm being a little funny here, but God's like, you doing what there, Joey? <laughs> I mean, hot dogs, God, a lot of them. Jesus uses this word. What are you striving for? This week I was in the valley praying with some pastors, and I'm just being real honest. And we were praying for, for things that are coming up in July, pastors' conference, and I'll be leading part of that for pastors and wives. And, and one of the pastors stopped in the middle of this prayer time. He said, hey, guys, can we do, can we do something different right now? He said, can we pray for my, my son? I'd like to pray for my son. He's a good kid. But he, he doesn't, he's a good kid. But he doesn't know the, the, the wind of the spirit yet. He hasn't caught a hold of the depth of the word and he really likes video games. Good kid. And he just, can we just pray for him? And it was so fun to labor for that kid. And just say, Lord, I used to love video games when I was a kid. That's all I could imagine. That's all I could see. All I could think about. And there's so many lesser things that get a hold of your heart. Jesus said, I want you to strive. And, and I have, have you ever played video games before and you try to win that level? Oh, man, you try it again, you know? And seven days later, you haven't even left that room. You're like, oh, you know. Or whatever it is. Whatever it is. Strive, and we, we prayed for his son, and his son's a great kid, and I just, and, and it was so, so fun praying for him, by the way, because when the Lord touches you, there's no one touching you. You know what I'm saying? When you get touched by the Lord, so fun. Whatever it is you have to get rid of, okay, and, and, and video games can be redeemed, I'm, I'm sure, and seashells can be redeemed, I'm sure, and eating hot dogs, probably not, but you know, there's other things that can be redeemed, you know? What are you striving for? One more story, I'm gonna keep going. My daughter yesterday woke up, and, or we were getting up, and, and she grabbed her brother's Bible, which is a New King James Version Bible. There's no pictures in it. And, and she said, I want a Bible like this, Dad. And I was like, okay, we'll get you one of those. And so she opened up, she wanted to prove that she could have it, so she opened up to Isaiah 41, just like, you know, flipped it open, started reading Isaiah 41. I was like, let's just start with a little more age-appropriate content here. Let's go to, you know, Psalm 23, and she began reading it, and she said, I want a Bible, Dad. I'm like, oh, cool, you know, get you one. So we went to the summer festival, yesterday at uh, Toledo, and the Gideons were there giving out Bibles. And I thought it was so cool. She just asked for a Bible, you know, and these guys are giving out Bibles. Like, go get your Bible, honey. And she grabbed a Bible, and she's so excited. She got home last night, and she said, Mom, I want to make a bookmark for my Bible. It's a Gideon Bible. You know, it's a New Testament, Psalms and Proverbs, and I want to make a bookmark for my Bible. And this is, I was upstairs studying, and she told this to my wife. She said, I want to make a bookmark for my Bible, and I want to read it. 
and I want to learn more about Jesus. And then she said something crazy. She said, I want to study the details of the cross. Even though it makes me sad, I know that through it, we have our freedom, and, and I, want to, I want to know the details of the cross. My wife came up and told me. You know, and, and here's my question. How many of you right now feel that my seven-year-old daughter is striving more than you are? You know, like, like whoa, you know. So many things we could do that are lesser. I'm writing a fine line of legalism here. You guys, you guys all understand that, right? Okay. I don't want to jump down. I don't want to step on anybody's toes. But Jesus here is very clear. And he goes on to then describe a very dark scene. He says, guys, there's actually going to be a door shutting. There's going to be gnashing of teeth and weeping. It's actually not going to be fun. It's that important that those who are in enjoy that they're in and strive. And those who are not... Make sure that they do. And if you're going to strive for anything at all, strive to enter the right door, the narrow gate. It's difficult. Very few people find it. I think most of us in here get this. I hope you do. I hope you're a Christian here. Like, yeah, I did that. Thank you, Jesus. I'm in the gate. There's somebody here that was like, oh, crap. Can I say crap? Sorry. Crud. Somebody in here is saying that. I was saying what you're saying, not what I'm saying. I was quoting you. How can we strive? I actually want you to write this down or consider this. If you're, if you're I want to know that I'm in. Okay, here's, here's three ways I'll give you that you can know that you're saved. Jesus says, strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say, will seek to enter and will not be able. This is very important. Okay, the first way you'll know that you're in is found in 1 John 5, 13. It says this, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You want to know that you have eternal life? You'll believe what the book says. Okay, it's that simple. You'll believe the Bible. I didn't say understand it, like it, know it. You'll just believe it. There'll be a simple saving faith. First John 5, 13. Those who believe in the word of God know they have eternal life. By grace we've been saved, not of works, Okay. Do you believe the word of God? The other day I was doing my morning time and I was like, what do I read today, Lord? And I just felt like I wanted to read my favorite Psalms. I was like, I'm gonna read Psalm 1, Psalm 2, Psalm 19, Psalm 27, Psalm 34, Psalm 51. I'm just gonna go through, I'm just gonna read my favorite Psalms. And I was able to just kind of, oh, this is my favoritist, you know. I love the word of God. I believe the word of God. And I hope you have that same relationship with God's word. And if you don't, you need to strive to get it. Become a lover of God's word. Become a student of God's word. His word is a lamp and a light. Here's the second thing that you'll have uh, visible in your life to know, to strive to enter that narrow gate. First John, same book, different chapter, verses 14 of chapter 3. First John 3, 14. It says, and we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. You want to know that you're saved? You want to know that you've entered that gate? Here's how. You have an uncommon love for the church of God, for the brethren of God, for the sister of God, for the body of God. Okay. It's not a perfect love. Because if I look around here, there's a bunch of nuts here this morning. You know what I'm saying? Right? Right? Here's what's crazy, though. Here's what's crazy, though. I love you guys. For real. Every single one of you. It's like a bag of mixed nuts. 
when I get mixed nuts at the store, I eat them all. I don't pick and choose. You know, I just like yeah, handfuls. Oh, you know, that was a little, that was a little weird. I'll eat it again. You know, here's the crazy thing. If you're a believer here, there's people that rub you the wrong way. It's supposed to happen. It's supposed to grow you. But there's an uncommon love for church, Bible study, Christian music. Just, it's not perfect. You know, there's cheesiness within the church. But right now, there's about 250, 300 people gathered here, maybe 400 with the kids at church this morning, okay, because we're believers. We would never gather like this with love and grace, compassion, zeal, with with wishful thinking and and heartfelt desires for one another if Jesus wasn't in in the middle of us and in the midst of us. If you have a love for the brethren, and again, it's not perfect, okay, but it is there. You love people. You, You know people and love people you would never have time for in any other setting ever in the entire world, but we're all here together. That should be clicking in your life. There should be a love, not just for God's word, but there should be a love for God's people. If you don't have a love for a church or for serving or for caring or attending, you better be worried. Strive to enter that narrow gate. Lastly, and I'm gonna move on, Romans 8.14 says this, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And the spirit is alive and flowing and speaking to our hearts. And those who found the narrow gate, you know his voice and his presence and his peace, don't you? You know. Okay, life's crazy. It's like you got your helmet on. You're taking shots. Ah, is God there? Yeah, he's right here. Is God everywhere you go? Yep. Is he available at all times? Yeah. When you seek him, do you find him? Yep. When you, when you sense him, when you, when you need him, do you sense him? Yep. You know him. You're led by him. The peace of God, the presence of God, the power of God. Okay. These three things are going to be evident in your life. Not perfect, but progressing for sure. You're going to believe the word of God. You're going to love the people of God. And you're going to be led by the spirit of God. And if you don't believe the word and you don't love the people and you don't sense the spirit, I'm going to tell you right now, you better agonize and strive until you do. That's your main problem. I got stuff at home. I got some hot dogs to eat. No, you don't. Not anymore, you don't. Not anymore, you don't. That's not your problem anymore. Until those are happening in your life, you're in trouble. You're in big trouble. And there's a door that's going to close. Okay, my life's not perfect by any means, but I know that I'm saved. And I hope you can say that today emphatically. He saves from the uttermost to the guttermost. Verse 25, he gives this illustration that of what's going to happen next. He says, well, once the master of the house has risen up, okay, there's going to be a time when it's too late. And he shuts the door and you begin to stand and... Knock on the door saying, Lord, open up for us and he'll answer you. I don't know you or who you are, where you're from. How many of you guys think, you don't, don't raise your hand, but how many of you guys think this is fair? Let me, let me ask you a question this way. When you're raising your kids and you tell them how the house works and you say, if somebody knocks on the door and we don't know them, what do you tell them to do? Don't open it. <laughs> is that fair? Is that fair? Do you teach your kids that at your house? You knock on the door and it's your uncle or it's your best friend or grandpa or grandma. Nope, leave them outside. <laughs> no, dude. Let them in, man. We know them. Strangers. So instead of developing an argument or an objection against God for being unfair, that he doesn't let strangers in his house, the greater argument and the greater effort needs to be put in, let's not be strangers to God. Don't be a stranger to God. Okay, three ways you cannot be a stranger to God. Number one is time. The more time you spend with somebody, the more you know them. Can I get a duh? Duh. 
went to Lebanon recently, spent 10 days there, and I went with people that I knew somewhat well and some I didn't know well, but at the end of the 10-day trip, just 10 days concentrated serving and spending time, we knew each other better. It's cool, man. I've got a different bond now. Just time. How's your time with the Lord? Are you putting time in? Is there journaling? Is there writing? Is there praying? Is there receiving and listening and reading and all of that? Is there worship happening? Is there time? If there's not time, what if the Lord would say, I don't know you? Would you, would it, would you, would you object to that at this point? It's, a, it's an important question. Time. Not just time, but Honesty. You can spend a lot of time with people and not be honest with them and they don't know you and you don't know them. This happens at work, happens in school. God forbid it happens in marriages. But if you have honesty with somebody, man, you know that person. You know anybody, are you honest with, with, with some people and they're honest with you? Those relationships are legit. You know them, they know you. There's love, there's camaraderie, there's grace and mercy because they know you. And you need grace and mercy once somebody really gets to know you. Are you honest with the Lord? Are you okay with his honesty towards you? When the Lord is honest in a teaching like this, thanks God for being honest. Appreciate that. Thanks for telling me the truth. And do you tell the truth? I've seen relationships that aren't honest with each other. And let me just say this. The most intimate and sweet and strong relationships are the ones that are the most honest. That's, that should be applied at home in your marriages. Okay, just so you guys know, the more honest you are, the more sweet, intimate, and strong you'll be. But it's also vertical. Just crying out to the Lord. Last thing that you need to have in your relationship with the Lord so he might know you is what I'll call interdependence, which means this relationship, this give and take, that you need him, but listen, he needs you. Without him, you can't. Without you, he won't. And when he shuts the door and you're knocking out there, oh, no, it was a weird relationship. You didn't really need me and you wouldn't let me need you. And he wants you to walk in tandem. Look at this excuse he gives. Verse 26, and then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. Man, we were there eating and drinking. It was kind of a weird thing to say. <laughs> you were teaching and we were eating and drinking. Man, we had hot dogs everywhere. You were doing your thing, we were doing our thing. But we were there. There was a, pro- a close proximity. I'm going to be honest. This is a lot of Americans. This is a lot of churchgoers. This, this could be some of us here, and so many people have an association with the Lord, but what we need is a regeneration of the Lord. You, you can be, isn't, I mean, you can have knowledge of somebody and not know them. You ever done that? You know of somebody, but you don't know them, sports figures or personalities. You can know, listen, please, you can know so much about the Lord and not know the Lord, and he does not want that to happen. Jesus warned in Matthew, no, no, John chapter 5, verse 39. He says, you search the scriptures daily, for in them you think you have eternal life, but these are they which speak of me. What are you looking for? What are you doing? Look at me. Don't miss me. Are you in Jesus? That is the question. Did you go through the narrow gate? People are raised in Christian homes. People go to Christian schools. People go to camps. I, I knew where you were. I knew about you. I had a verse memorized. I didn't know you. And I'll be honest. Can I just say it this way? God knows me, and, and, and it's primarily because of my brokenness and my time spent on my knees crying out to him for forgiveness, grace, guidance, and help. Just so you guys know, it's like, how is the Lord going to get to know you? Your mess. Your mess. Be honest with him, man. 
He loves you. He paints this picture. There'll be weeping, gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And there'll be people from the east and the west gathering there. And the first will be last and the last will be first. Here's the idea, guys. Heaven will be full and hell will be full. I'll be honest, I don't like that. Most of you don't like that. I don't like that. Here's the truth. Why? Because I don't. Processes. I don't know ends from beginnings. I don't know any of that. So I don't like talking about it. Can I tell you who does have facts and no processes and no ends from beginning? Jesus. He knows it all. It's not your problem to know it all. You're naive at best. Jesus is not naive. He is all-knowing. And he says this is how it is. And you're not like, well, I don't know if I like that. You don't know anything. You don't know anything except what he says. And if he says it, I believe that that settles it. And when asked this question, are few saved? Tears. Oh, dude. Ah. Wanted to gather you. Ah, the door's going to close. And just like you would close your door and keep strangers out, I got to do it. But Lord, don't you have mercy? And we ask that question. Don't you have mercy, Lord? People are going to die and go to hell. Where's your mercy at? He's like, blood everywhere. Bible, prophets, people everywhere. For thousands of years, grace and mercy. Don't get distracted. Don't get dissuaded. Don't do it. Here's my only son. And people are going to party their way to hell. And I don't like talking about hell. I don't. Jesus talked about hell more than any other person alive. He referenced hell more than anybody because he knows the full truth. And you, not just because he knows the full truth, but because he's full of love. He's, he looks at you and he's like, dude, don't blow it. I'm going to give you full life. I'm going to give you full word, full spirit, full church, full prophets, Full time, full grace, full mercy, a full, huge opportunity to enter into this narrow door. Don't miss it. I need you to know his heart for this because here's the deal. We're gonna, we're, you're going to be tr- struggled and you're going to be tested and you're going to be tried this week to stand for Christ for yourself, for the people you're leading and teaching, and for the people that are watching you wondering want to debate and fight with you. Oh, you're a Christian? What are you, an idiot? Oh, you believe in creation? What are you, dumb? You believe in the Bible? What are you, a fool? And here's Jesus being tested and tried. Pharisees, why don't you get out of here, dude? Herod's going to kill you anyways. Just stop talking like this. And Jesus said, well, you, you tell them what I'm about. You tell that fox, I cure, I cast out demons, I set people free. I am here to serve and to die in doing so. I'm going to die and be perfected. There's nothing that's going to stop me from doing this. And it, what, what do we do? What do, we, what do I do? I got a decision to make even today as a Christian. What am I going to do? Am I going to collect seashells? Or am I going to lead somebody? Am I going to do lesser things and ignore the greater things? God forbid. Or am I going to let this sermon resonate with me and Am I going to get a seriousness about my love? Well, I don't want to be offensive. You better love people enough to offend them now so they can die right. Jesus offended people while they lived so he could save them before they died. 
we live in a weird, weird PC world, man. It's like, ah, I don't know. I can't really call you out. Here's one of the reasons why you don't call people out, by the way. And by the way, social media is probably not the right place to do it ever. Just write it down, meditate on it. It's not going to work. But if you know somebody, you should love them enough to stab them, not in the back, talking about them. Stab them in the front with the truth, in love. It's, I love you. Come close to me. Let's reason together. And you won't give the truth to person, to people, to our culture, to your family, unless you really love them. Wouldn't that be awesome if God just broke your heart with love? Jesus was asked, how many people are getting saved? Ah, oh, he began to weep and lament over Jerusalem. When he wept and lamented over Jerusalem, was it because of their immorality and their sin, their depravity, their carnality? He says it's because I wanted to gather you, dude. I wanted to gather you like a mother hen her does her chicks. A couple decades ago, there was a fire down in Southern California in a barn, and the whole barn burned, and everything died in it. And the next day, the family was looking through the ashes, and there was this big mound of charcoal matter, and the little boy kicked it. And this mound just rolled off, and underneath that mound was a bunch of baby chicks. And it turned out that mound of charcoal wasn't charcoal, it was the mother hen. And it had gathered her chicks and embraced them and covered them from the wrath of the fire and endured that flame and saved their lives and perished in the process. And when Jesus says, I want, dude, I see what's coming. I love you. And he weeps, not because of their immorality. I'm going to have the worship team come up right now, but I'm going to read to you a letter that I read when I was living in my rebellion, when I was living away from God. When I was walking amok, and my young life leader, Barbara, I had given this letter to me before I went away to college, and this is what it says. I found this and pulled it out of my, my drawer one fateful day. It's a letter from Jesus. And I read this at the Ashland Apartments, P151. It brought me to my knees, and I wept, and I repented. It says, my precious friend, I'm sending you this letter by way of one of my disciples. I just wanted to let you know how much I love and care about you, and how I greatly desire to become a meaningful part of your life. This morning when you awoke, I was already there with you in the light of my beautiful sunshine that filled your room, and I was hoping that you would say good morning to me. You, you didn't. So I thought maybe it was a little too early for you in the day and for you to notice me. And again, I tried to get your attention when you stepped out of the door. I kissed your face with a soft, gentle breeze and, breeze, and I breathed upon you my fragrant, sweet breath scented with flowers. And then I sang you a love song through the birds and the trees, and you just walked right past me. Later on in the day, I watched over you as you were talking with some of your friends, and oh, I wish that you would talk with me also. I waited and I waited, but you went along your way, and this afternoon, I sent you a refreshing shower and glistened on you with each raindrop, and I even shouted to you a time or two with rainbows in the midst of my fluffy white clouds. I just knew you would see me. You were not aware of my presence. So this evening, to close your day, I sent you a beautiful sunset. And after that, I, I winked at you a thousand times with my stars, hoping that you would see me and wink back, and you never did. And tonight, when I, you went to bed, I, I spilled moonlight upon your face to let you know that I was there with you. I was hoping that you would talk with me a little before you went to sleep, and you never said a word. It hurt me deeply. However, I continue to watch over you all through the night, thinking that maybe, just maybe, you would say hello to me in the morning and each and every day. I revealed myself to you in so many strange and wondrous ways, hoping that you would accept me as your shepherd. I'm the only one that can supply you with all of your needs, and my love for you is deeper than the deepest ocean and bigger than the greatest sky, and I have so much love to give you and also share with you. Please, 
please let me hear from you soon. Your loving friend forever, Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you guys to bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, in Jesus' name, now we, we, we just need you, Lord. I pray, Lord, for this sermon, these words, Lord, this truth, Lord, this happened. Jesus, on his way to Jerusalem, was asked these questions, and these comments came out of his mouth, and this passion, as he was teaching the masses and the multitudes, he looked at this one and said, dude, so glad you asked that. And if today, I just, we don't have much time, if, if today you would just make that response and say, Jesus, take me deeper, forgive me for my distraction, forgive me for being discouraged, forgive me for being a weirdo, forgive me, Lord, take me deeper. And maybe you're here this morning, you say, Lord, I want to be saved, I, wanna, I don't want to ignore you anymore, I, I don't want to miss the opportunity today, and I need to be saved, and whatever it is for you, if you need more of Jesus, or you want more of him, you want him to have more of you, and you want to know him, or know that you know that you know, whatever it is, would you just right now raise your hand if you're in need of Jesus Christ this morning, whatever the case may be, whether it's the first time you've never raised your hand, raise it right now and let Jesus Christ be your savior in Jesus' name. Reach out to him, or you're a Christian, and you're in need because you're all messed up, and you're not doing it right. You're blowing it. You're not reading. You're not learning. You're not teaching. You're not living. You're not giving anything back. Raise your hand right now. Just humble yourself. You don't want that door to be shut on you. Jesus, my hand is up to you. Leave your hand up. Lord, we love you because you first loved us. We pray in Jesus' name, Lord, for mercy and grace upon our lives. Each one of us has a measure of influence to impact and leverage upon one other person, maybe two, possibly three. Help us just to do that. Help us to be serious, Lord, and impactful. Put your hand up. You need the Lord's power. You need His grace to forgive you. Don't be a rebel anymore. Don't be hard-hearted. Don't be distracted. Don't be discouraged. Uh, it's been tough, though, Luke. It's been tough for me. No. Look at Jesus. Reject that. Reject that weariness. No. In Jesus' name. You go all in for him. You will not regret it. There are many other regrets you will have. That will not be one. So Jesus, you can put your hands down as we come to the table now, Jesus. We do so with thanksgiving, examining ourselves, proclaiming your death until you return. And we know, Lord, your blood was shed for us, all for us, Lord, that our sins would be forgiven and we would have eternal life with you. We do what we do now with thanksgiving, celebrating you. Holy Spirit, descend upon us now. We pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said...